Hello everyone, Suava, welcome in, uh, I think, 14th episode of Searching for the Slavic Soul, uh, which is a podcast produced by Vitya and presented by me. <laughs> I am, my name is Magda Lewandowska and today I will be talking about the magic of Słowo, which in pretty every single Slavic language means word, like you know, the spoken word, just adding in case my Polish accent causes you to misunderstand something I'm saying. Anyway, today's episode is absolutely one of a kind because what we are going to be talking about today has not been written or published anywhere across any of VTS internet platforms because you know usually there is a blog post and then there is an episode of podcast at some point later but today we are doing it the other way around because in this way in talking about Słowo first I want to honor the hundreds or thousand even year old tradition of spoken Slavic word so basically the tradition of Słowo and the magic of Słowo as well so if any of this sounds interesting, keep listening. So, Słowo, the magic of Słowo. We are going to start in a very smart and sophisticated way because we are going to start with a linguistic hypothesis one that is called Sapir-Whorf hypothesis or in the, the other name for it is the hypothesis of linguistic relativity. This hypothesis, um, well, it hypothesizes <laughs> that, that the language a person is speaking, so person is using to describe the word, the language is affecting the way the speaker of this language sees and perceives the word. So, in a way, the principle of Sapir-Whorf hypothesis states that we, the humans, each of us being a speaker of a certain language or certain languages, we are limited in a way in how we can describe and see the word because we are, well, for the lack of better word, we are limited by the limits of the language we use to describe and analyze what we are seeing or hearing or experiencing. Basically, this hypothesis states that how we see and describe the word can be related to particular language we are using, hence the other name of Sapir-Whorf hypothesis is linguistic relativity. The concept of linguistic relativity is not new. It came around in the 19th century and as you know, pretty much everything in 19th century, it was used as a backbone to support nationalistic or even racist ideas. What the creators and early followers of linguistic relativity were saying is that if you speak a certain language, you cannot possibly comprehend things that your language does not have words for, which obviously is not true. But, you know, back in the 19th century, people came up with a lot of concepts that were not true or not well thought through but they seemed plausible nevertheless because most thinkers back then were rich and well-off and educated and so completely out of touch with the reality that they actually did not need any proof to support their ideas. They just knew that they were right. They wrote books written in such a convoluted and obscure way that nobody could understand them and that in itself was a proof that they are so very smart, which Funny enough, happens nowadays as well, but that's a completely different topic and I am not even going to go there because once I start talking about smart asses completely enchanted by the sound of their voices and the depth of their thoughts, we are going to be here for a week just talking about them. And today I want to talk about something else. Today I want to talk about Slavic language or rather languages. So focus Magda. Stop digressing. Where was I? Um, linguistic relativity. Right. Linguistic relativity. 
The concept is not new. It's been around for nearly a couple of centuries. It got abandoned and forgotten, obviously, when the totalitarian Nazi period of the history of the world ended, but it came back, I think, in the 90s in much more mellow form that focuses not on how language limits the whole view of the world or the abilities to perceive it, but rather explores the influence of language of a given culture on social interaction within this culture, on philosophy, self-development, or on emotions experienced by the speaker of a language. And the reason why I'm talking about linguistic relativity is that while focusing on weeding out Judeo-Christian influences from Slavic tradition, here in Vitya project, we kind of missed the pagan influences, which in a different way, but nevertheless, still creeped out and started to contaminate and distort the culture, the tradition and beliefs of the Slavs, or more specifically, Rodnovers. Because, as it turns out, there is a lot of Rodnovers, a lot of followers of Slavic native faith, who do not speak a single Slavic language. What more, there is a lot of modern Rodnovers who have never experienced firsthand the culture of the Slavs, be it through modern culture created by Slavs or through Slavic folklore. And you know, it's brilliant that Slavic native faith or Slavic culture in general transcends the cultural and linguistic borders. There's nothing wrong with that. What is well, not ease. <laughs> what could be wrong about it is when people who are only discovering Slavic culture, tradition or faith, but have no deep first-hand understanding of Slavic culture, the problem could be when those people get in their heads that while not having a lot of understanding of Slavic culture, they can actually teach people about it. So, basically, while here in Vitya project, while we were focusing on Judeo-Christian contaminant, we completely missed the new, only now developing, pagan source of new contaminants being introduced to the Slavic culture. To give you an example, there is a person called Patricia Robin Woodruff, whom, to keep things simple, I will be calling Pat. So, there is this person called Pat, who lives in Northern America, she's never lived in a Slavic country, does not know, does not speak, read, write or understand in any other shape or form a single Slavic language, yet she got it in her head that she is qualified to teach about Slavic culture and magic. And she started teaching it. And also she started publishing books which apparently you can get on Amazon. Those books are titled Guide to Slavic Deities, and there is another one, I think it's only upcoming, that is called Roots of Slavic Magic. And those books are advertised as textbook, like really reference books for everyone interested in Slavic deities. I learned about Pat's books a few months ago and obviously I became very interested, like, you know, new info, new sources, like, awesome. So I looked more into it and this is when I went like, what the actual fuck? Basically, what's happened in the curious case of Pat's quote-unquote research into Slavic, as Pat calls it, deities, it's everything got mixed up, because to start with, Pat has zero clue about anything Slavic. She is not able to read any sources in any Slavic language, and clearly she is not willing to spend hundreds of pounds or dollars on academic books, so the only knowledge, like quote-unquote knowledge, she could get about Slavic culture was from English internet sites, which, as some of or all of you might know, is just full of all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> because Pat does not speak a Slavic language and has zero understanding of Slavic, well, 
of Slavic soul, really. She does not know and does not understand how it is to be a Slav, what does it mean to be a Slav, what are the core values, ideas or concepts acquired while growing up or living among Slavs within a Slavic culture. She assumed that Slavic native faith or, you know, Slavic religion or Slavic mythology or Slavic deities is kind of like, I don't know, Wicca or some other pagan system of beliefs with just, you know, with Slavic gods added. And it's just so, 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 so very wrong. Because, and this is where the language comes into focus, because there are ways of looking at the world of perceiving the word and describing it ways which one cannot experience through English language. There are things that are like a second nature for a speaker of a Slavic language, but that are not easily noticed or understood by an English speaker. One of these things is, well, one of these things is explained by... <laughs> But by something that is very obvious for any speaker of a Slavic language and very foreign for an English speaker, and this is the concept of grammatical gender. Grammatical gender is a feature of, as far as I know, all Slavic languages. Obviously, grammatical gender is not exclusive for Slavic languages, but nevertheless is something completely inexistent in English language the only language that is known to our path. The presence of grammatical gender in Slavic languages means that everything, I mean like absolutely everything that can be described in Slavic language has a gender and is spoken about like it has a gender. In, again, as far as I know, in all Slavic languages there are three grammatical genders. There is the masculine gender, the feminine gender, and the third one, which is translated in English as neutral, is kind of none of the above. So the third grammatical gender, the one that in English is called neutral, it's actually, as we call it in Polish, nijaki. <laughs> nijaki li literally translates into not this and not that. So the third grammatical gender is not described by, by what it is, like, you know, the masculine gender is masculine and the feminine gender is feminine, but the nijaki gender is described by what it is not. It's neither masculine nor feminine. So the nijaki, the neutral gender, is not really neutral, but is more like in between, which is also expressed in, in its Russian name. In Russian, the neutral gender is called shredni rod, which can be translated as the average one or the one in the middle. So as, as, as I said, not this, not that, but something in the middle. And what does it mean, you ask my English speaker? Well, it means that a Slav looks at the world as a place full of masculine, feminine and, you know, the in-between elements. A Slavic speaker does not have to make up an opposite of something to balance out the, as Pat calls it, the basic elements. Because one thing that Pat does in her quote-unquote research is actually not finding out about stuff, but making stuff up. So, in Pat's quote-unquote version of Slavic religion, Every single male or female supernatural being gets its own female or male counterpart. Because, in Pat's extremely expert opinion, this is exactly how you balance things out. And you know, maybe it works for other types of pagans, I don't know, but in Slavic paganism it not only does not work, but is also completely redundant because Slavs, through their language, already have a balanced mixture of male, female, and, you know, the mysterious third gender element. So, when you are a Slav, let's say from Poland, and you speak in Polish, and you sit down to have a cup of tea, you brew herbata, which is 
T and grammatically is feminine, you put your feminine herbata at stool, which is grammatically male, and then you sit at your male table which you, with your female herbata on krzesło, which is grammatically neutral gender. So if you are Polish, the single act of having a cup of tea automatically puts you in a balanced state where all the female, male and neutral elements work together. And it works for anything you can possibly do or see or experience when you are a Slav. Everything that surrounds you, everything that can be described but a noun or an adjective or a verb, everything is a mixture of female, male and neutral and it balances itself out. You don't need to make stuff up to make it work. I mean, you don't need if you speak a Slavic language and Pat doesn't, so she does not have a clue and thinks that something is missing, where there's clearly not. Another thing that Pat and many English-speaking pagans don't have a clue about is Slavic phonemes and obviously they cannot tell them apart and see any difference between them, which is no wonder really, because Slavic languages are legendary in long tongue twisters and weird sounds that are incomprehensible and indistinguishable for not Slavic speakers, which is not a big problem if you follow the Slavic tradition and learn from Slavic sources or Slavic people who can explain it to you, but when you are our pat and don't have a foggiest clue about Slavic phonology, but still want to teach others about Slavic culture, this is when we have a big, big problem. And the problem is putting Shiva, Sheba, Shiba, Żywia, Żywa, Dziewa, Ziva, Deva, Dziewa, and another similarly sounding phonemes in one category of a goddess, a made up by Patricia goddess of, from what I understood, life, healing, and I think water. The reason I am not sure what the Shiva, Sheba, Shiba, Żywia, Żywa, Dziwa, Ziva, and other goddess is, is because Patricia's book, the one I had the misfortune of reading, is a badly written book. It is not logical, its layout is bonkers, chapters make no sense, it is a really, really bad book. It's badly written, badly researched, badly structured, it's even badly priced. When it comes out, it's going to be badly priced because whatever this book is going to cost, the, the price is just not going to be low enough. I mean, I thankfully did not have to pay to read it, but bloody heck, you have to pay people to read it. You know, paying people to read it still could not be enough to make them read it. I only read it because I'm fully committed to the Slavic cause and to making sure the Slavic tradition stays as uncontaminated as it is only possible. So, you know, I read it, so you don't have to, but my... Did I have to suffer to get through this book? Anyway, Shiva, Sheba, Shiba, Żywia, Żywa, Dziwa, Ziva, Deva and others, there is a whole list of phonemes like that there. So, according to our path, those are all the names of one goddess, which allegedly exists and is responsible for... I don't know, for something, water or life or something. And it's just, it's just wrong. It's so wrong because for a speaker of a Slavic language, those phonemes which Pat put together in one bag, those phonemes don't belong in one bag. They don't mean the same. They sound similarly, obviously, because they are phonemes, but they have completely different meaning. So let's take Shiva, for example. Shiva is an adjective, female, singular, and it means gray. So Shiva is one female with gray hair. It can be one female horse or one female human. That's not specified in the form of this adjective. Żywa or Ziva are also adjectives 
also female, singular, but they mean alive. So, żywa or ziwa mean one alive female. Again, species of this female, whether it's a horse or a human or, I don't know, a river, because rivers tend to be females in Slavic languages, it's also not specified here. Then we have dziwa, is not a, which is actually not so easy to explain because it's an old form. It is definitely female, definitely singular, but it could be either an adjective or a noun. It comes from Proto-Slavic diviti, which is a verb and means to surprise, or from divo or div, which are nouns and mean a miracle or wild. So, jiva could be one wild female, or one surprising, wondrous or miraculous female. The jiva phonem we can find in the names of Slavic demons, like jivožona or samodziva. So, when a Slavic person hears the phonem jiva, he or she thinks something female, wild and, you know, supernatural, so a female demon, for example. On the other hand, deva is a singular noun and it means a girl, a maiden, one girl or one maiden to be specific. Sheba and Sheba are not so obvious. They sound made up. I don't have a foggiest clue where Pat took those phonemes from. For an average Slavic speaker, they sound like totally made up stuff. To be honest, given the level of Pat's writing, <laughs> like quote unquote writing, and the sources she uses and the you know research she does, I would not be surprised if those were failed transliteration of Slavic phonemes into non-Slavic languages, which Pat took as other version of the same, well, other versions of what sounds like the same to Pat. Anyway, what Pat, and in her infinite lack of understanding of Slavic languages, took for one thing, it's actually many different things. We have grey hair, we have a girl, an alive female, and something white and likely demonic. So basically, grey, wild, maiden, demon that is alive. Like, come on, people, really? Maybe, maybe we could make something out of this, but the only name out of the long list given by Pat, the only name out of this list that is confirmed by historical sources as a Slavic goddess is Shiva, which was mentioned once, not even in one sentence, but in literally three words in the Chronicle of the Slavs, uh, written by Helmond sometime in the middle or towards the end of the 12th century. In these chronicles, which is a proper chronicle, so it's a thick book, he literally wrote Shiva Dia Polaborum. That's it. That's written in Latin. There is nothing else written about Shiva. And from what I understand, there are either different copies of the Chronicle of the Slavs or maybe the handwriting is not clear because the historians give three possible versions of Shiva Dea Polaborum. So one version is Shiva Dea Polaborum, the other is Shive Dea Polaborum, and another one is Syna Dea Polaborum. So the historians who saw Helmond's chronicles of the Slav with their very eyes, who saw the original handwriting of the monk who wrote the book down, they are not sure what's written there. So it could be Shiva, it could be Shive, or it could be Sina. That is it. Three possible versions. None of it looks or sounds even remotely as Jiva or Zhivya or Sheba that Pat is pushing in her book. I have no clue how did she come up with this stuff. I really don't. In the chapter, this, you know, the one that I'm talking about, the one full of Zhivya phonemes, Patricia just puts absolutely everything that she found, I guess, on the internet, and everything that looks similar to an unskilled eye, or, or ear, rather, of a non-Slavic speaker. So, we find there a Polish town, Zhiviec, which name, and we know it for sure, comes from an old Polish noun, Zhiviec, which means farm animals. 
she also took the Polish word dzwon, which means bell, and she put it in there too. She gave an example of bells in churches in Kraków, uh, which is one of the oldest towns in Poland, and wrote that, uh, I quote here, it is a remnant of petitioning this goddess of life and death to take care of the person's spirit, unquote. And now, how Pat came to this conclusion is beyond me, because as it should be obvious to anyone with half a brain, pre-Christian pagan Slavs did not know and did not use church bells, because they didn't have churches. They also did not ring bells for the spirits, and most certainly not with intention of taking care of these spirits. Pre-Christian pagan Slavs did use various noises on spirits, on malevolent spirits, to chase them away. So the making noises wasn't in order to take care of the spirits, but to scare them away. In order to take care of the spirits of the people pre-Christian Slavs cared about, for example, the spirits of their ancestors, the pagan Slavs did not ring bells. They had a feast. They held feasts as a part of ritual of veneration of the ancestors. They invited the ancestors to this feast. They ate with them and drank with them. They celebrated with them. And who knows, maybe as a part of life musing during those events, some sort of bells were used, but bells were most certainly not a sine qua non condition of caring for the spirits of the ancestors of our pagan ancestors. And petitioning of any goddess was not part of feasts either. Because pre-Christian pagan Slavs did not need any goddess or god to take care of the souls of their ancestors. They took care of those souls themselves. They venerated their ancestors. They gave them offerings, food, mead. They sang for them, you know, live music. It was a Slav's responsibility to take care of his or her dead. No goddess, grey, blonde, wild of dom or domesticated, no goddess of any kind was needed there. As to goddesses or gods of any kind, Pat seemed to also be completely losing the Slavic meaning of the word describing god or gods. In the title of one of the chapters of her book, she claims that in Slavic tradition gods are called Bogu, and also that the word God means a giver, that is interpreted as share, and the God-related word Bustvo translate into noble, like it means noble, and is of Iranian origin which, you know, when a Slavic speaker reads it, it just makes no sense at all. I mean, I was reading it and I was wiping my screen, double and triple checking it, because at first I thought that this mambo jumbo was due to a problem with my computer or maybe my internet, because I could not believe that anyone would come up with stuff as ridiculous as Pat has. But you know, after checking my computer and my internet and, you know, reading word by word what Pat wrote, I realized that she really has come up with this stuff and that she is selling it as Slavic lore. And what I think it is all, and you know, I think it's all due to Pat not speaking any of many Slavic languages available and not having a slightest clue about how Slavic languages work. Because another thing that is typical for Slavic languages is something that is called declension. Declension is the changing of the form of a word to express this word function in a sentence. English language has no declension at all. In order to express in English what function a given word has in a sentence, the English speaker will use a preposition, postposition, or will, you know, be placing the word in the right place in the sentence. For example, in English, if you gave a present to your sister, the only way you can tell someone about it is by saying, I gave a present to my sister. 
if you change the order of the words, so for example, if you say my sister gave a present to I, or if you use a different preposition like I gave a present with my sister, this changes totally the meaning of the sentence. In Slavic languages, declension, so changing the, the case, so the form of the word, serves the same purpose that preposition and order of the words serve in English. For example, if you gave a present to your sister and want to tell someone about it, in, for example, Polish, all you have to do is to apply appropriate declension to the words. So, use appropriate forms which are called cases, grammatical cases. So, in Polish you can say dałam prezent siostrze or you can say siostrze dałam prezent or prezent dałam siostrze. All of this means the same regardless of the order of the words and no preposition is needed because the order of the words and the prepositions are replaced by the system of declension, the system of grammatical cases. By the way, dałam present siostrze, it also means that I am a female because as nouns and adjectives, verbs in Slavic languages also require a grammatical gender to be used which is absolutely beautiful, at least for me, it's just a, such an efficient system. It's all designed to express as much information as possible with as little words as possible. Because in order to say in English that you gave a present to your sister, you have to use seven words and you're still not able to express all the information that three words in a Slavic language can express. So, you know, it's just awesome. Slavic languages are just super efficient, super meaningful and precise in a way of expressing yourself and communicate information. When I talk about efficiency of Polish language, I always give an example of something that is called in Polish imiesów przysłówkowy uprzedni, which I believe in English is called a perfective anterior adverbal participle, but I don't cite me on that <laughs> because I studied Slavic grammar in Polish and the English names are still a bit of a mystery for me. Anyway, the perfective anterior adverbial participle is a form of verb that is designed to express that you have just done something and finished it and you are just about to do something else. So it's kind of like saying in English, having done something, I did something else. And in Polish, and I think in Russian too, it can be expressed in one word. So if you want to say that you are a male and you did something after, for example, having walked in somewhere, like literally walked on foot, because Slavic languages are that specific. So in order to say that you are a male and you did something after having walked in somewhere, in Polish, you only have to say przyszedłszy zrobiłem and that's it and everyone understands if it's not genius i don't know what is anyway where was i bogu yes so i was talking about pat's mambo jumbo about slavic gods so first thing she got wrong is the word itself because Bogu does not mean gods in Slavic languages. Bogu is a dative case singular, so it means to God. If you want to say gods in Slavic languages, you have to use nominative case plural, which in the case of gods in Russian will be Bogi, and for example in Polish either Bogi or Bogowie. So, as you can see, Pat can't get the case and the plural form right, but that's not all. She talks about the meaning of the Slavic word Bogu. So obviously she got it wrong because Bogu means to a single god. But with regards to the word, the singular word Bog or Bog, and its plural nominative case being Bogi or Bogowie, it does not mean a giver, a sharer, or anything like that. In pretty much any Slavic language, the, the word bug or bog means God. It doesn't mean anything else. 
and any Slavic speaker would know that the word bustvo, that if you remember, Pat claimed it meant noble, it doesn't mean noble, it means deity. The word bustvo, which happens to be Polish and in Russian, for example, is bożestwo, is derived from the word bug or bog. And that's it. The only Iranian stuff that has anything to do with Slavic word for gods or deities is a hypothesis that the pre-Slavic word bog, which also means god, nothing else. So this pre-Slavic word for god could be a borrowing from Iranian, but we don't know that. We only hypothesize that it could be the case. And you know, this stuff is obvious to any Slavic speaker, like there is no doubts about it. Nobody searches for other meaning of bug, bogi or bogowie, because there isn't any. Which Pat, being a non-Slavic speaker, has no idea about, so she does the mambo-jambo to, I don't know, impress equally uninformed reader because she would not impress any Slavic speaker with this blabber for, for a Slavic speaker is just stupid. That's it. It's stupid. So moving on, Slavic languages, grammar, the awesome stuff. One thing that Slavic languages have in buckets and that is also foreign to English speaker is something that is called reflexive verbs. Reflexive verbs are verbs that kind of apply to itself. Those verbs <laughs> to themselves. Those verbs uh, in Slavic languages are usually created by adding się or sia, adding it directly to the word or putting it just after the word. Reflexive words are another absolutely awesome feature of Slavic languages because they are used to express a variety of things that seem obvious to a Slavic speaker but are not so obvious to, for example, an English speaker. So, if you fell in love with someone in English, you will say, I fell in love with you. But in Polish, you will say, if you are a female, zakochałam się w tobie. And if you are a male, you'd say zakochałem się w tobie. Because you remember, everything in Slavic languages has to have an appropriate gender. So what does zakochałam się w tobie mean? Zakochać się is a reflexive word. So it applies to itself. So if you are Polish and you fell in love with someone, you will tell this someone, I love myself in you. Reflexive word. And it's just so awesome. Because when we fall in love, we don't really know the person we fall in love, right? We only know the, how we feel around this person. Therefore, we don't love this person. Not yet. We love how we feel around this person. We love how this person reflects us, how this person interacts with us. We feel amazing when we fall in love. We feel beautiful, smart, full of energy. Therefore, we love ourselves in the person we are in love with. And, you know, to express this concept in English, I had to use like, uh, I don't know, four or five sentences in Polish Thanks to the amazing reflexive words, I am able to express it all in four words, in one short sentence. It's genius. It's absolutely genius. But the reason I talk about reflexive case is because I suspect that Pat, not understanding Slavic languages, she stumbled upon something written in a Slavic language something that was a reflexive word and not understanding what is what it is all about she came to conclusion that it was a name of a god because as it happens pat claims that slavs worshipped a god that was called shebog there wasn't a god like that i have nearly 500 pages thick book with all the historical sources on pre-Christian Slavic religion. I know a lot about Slavic demons. 
Slavic folklore, I have a lot of friends and acquaintances that are into Slavic tradition and neither me nor any of my friends have ever come across Shebog. By the way, if any of you have any legit sources about Shebog, please do let us know. I will be more than happy to learn something new. Always, I mean always. And if you have a good one, like good legit source, I'll be more than happy to feature you in Searching for the Slavic Soul or on Vitya's social media or blog, wherever you want to be featured. Just let me know. So I don't know, unless there is something I don't know of, which hopefully somebody will will let me know, uh, as of, you know, for now, I haven't got a foggiest clue where this Shebok came from. And I kind of thought about it and I, I, I have a hypothesis. Actually, a two hypotheses. So one option is that Pat found an old publication on Slavic religion, a publication written in a Slavic language. And, you know, there's plenty of such publications on the Internet. Rodnovers, but also librarians or academics are very active in digitizing the old Polish, Russian or other Slavic archives. So you can easily find PDFs of books from 19th century with prayers or recorded folklore songs and such. So what I think has happened, I think that Pat saw one of those PDFs and read there, for example, Kaje się Bogu, which means I bow to God. In Polish, and I think in, in Russian, it means the same too. And I think in Belarusian as well, probably. <laughs> so she saw Kaje się Bogu. She didn't know that to bow, so the Kaje się beat. She didn't know that it's a reflexive word, and therefore she assumed that the się beat goes with the Bogu, not with the Kaje. So, so that's one option I, I, I could think of. The other explanation of the Shebog mystery is that Pat was trying to make up a female equivalent of the Shiva goddess she made up before. So maybe she took the she from Shiva and added to the god from God, uh, like the, you know, bog from God and came up with Shebog. But if she did that, that's just completely wrong because this is not a way of making a female word into a male one. I mean, you know, Slavic languages are super flexible and you can absolutely make a word and change its grammatical gender. So you can easily make a male word into a female one or the other way around, but there are rules for it. There is a whole range of suffixes, you know, that you can add or remove to change the gender of a word. But neither she nor bog are one of those suffixes. And any speaker of Slavic language knows that. And another very important thing that every Slavic speaker who is interested in Slavic magic, not even religion, just magic, is that Slavic magic is grounded in words. The words, how you pronounce them, what grammatical gender or case you apply to them, whether you use a reflexive word or not, that makes up the roots of Slavic magic. Słowo or plural słowa are the building blocks of Slavic spellcasting and any other form of magical or religious rituals. The oldest Slavic magical tradition is talking, just talking in a Slavic language. Knowing a Slavic language gives one the ability to perceive and describe the word, the interaction within the word, and even the very nature of the elements of the word in a way a pre-Christian Slav perceived and talked about it. So the Slavic spellcasting, which in Polish is called zamawianie, and in Russian, for example, zagovory, but it's just talking. Zamawianie comes from verb mówić, which means to talk. Zagovory comes from Russian word gavarit, which means to talk. This is why in order to make the Slavic magic happen, the person performing the magic, so wiedźma, szeptucha, znachor, znachorka, or even wołch, this person has to use the right words pronounce them correctly, so make sure that the Ż is pronounced like Ż and the G is pronounced like G. 
this person has to use the right accent, the right inflection, the right tone of voice. These verbal magical practices of pre-Christian Slavs are documented in dozens of historical sources. Multiple independent chronicles, historians or just religious writers from medieval times wrote about pagan Slavs using language to do magic. It could be naming a disease to chase it away. It could be using specific words to cast spells, teaching these words to other pagans. The tradition of Slavic spellcasting, the tradition of Zamavianie or Zagovori, it's so embedded into Slavic way of life that it actually survived to modern times. And language, a Slavic language that is used properly, it's an absolute necessity in Slavic magic. I'm not even talking religion here, just magic, because Słowo, the spoken Slavic language, this is the very root, the foundation of the world of Slavs. So, knowing all of that, can somebody please explain to me how a person who cannot even get a single Slavic word right let alone understand a short sentence or a paragraph in Slavic language. How a person who is not capable of pronouncing a Slavic word right, how the heck this person can teach others about the roots of Slavic magic or Slavic mythology or gods? How? What was Patricia thinking when she decided to quote-unquote research, <laughs> write and teach and, you know, preach about Slavic beliefs or magic? What are people who listen to her thinking? That one can talk in English to cast a Slavic spell? Like, really? How on earth? One can understand a culture without understanding the language of this culture. And it's not even culture. Patricia Woodruff claims to be able to understand Slavic magic. Magic based on language without having the foggiest idea about this language. Like, come on people, think, use common sense. Do not attempt to learn anything on anything Slavic from Pat's books or from anyone who does not understand Slavic language. Just to make myself clear, I'm absolutely not saying that you need to know Slavic language in order to believe or worship Slavic gods. Absolutely not. Because as this episode shows, particulars of Slavic language can be explained. So if you want to learn about Slavic tradition and you come across a Slavic word that you don't understand, get in touch with someone who understands it and ask them what it means. And I promise you will not only get an answer, but most of the time you will also get a few links to papers or dictionaries or other sources that will explain this word in more details. Because being able to speak a Slavic language is a superpower that any Slavic speaker is happy to share with others. I do not know a single person speaking a Slavic language that would not be happy to help out a non-Slavic speaker in order for this non-Slavic speaker to understand Slavic culture better. However, if you don't speak a Slavic language, you have to be really careful when performing rituals or magic or teaching about those topics because you'll get it wrong. Particularly if you are an English speaker, you will get it so wrong, it's not even funny. From my personal experience, the difference of how you talk and think about everything in English and in Polish, it cannot even be described. It's like living in two different worlds that, you know, overlap, but at the same time have completely different optics and angles and ways of making things happen. And now when I've been learning Russian after nearly a year of learning Russian, I'm starting to see a completely new 
third word of Russian, a word that overlaps a little bit with the English and the Polish words I already know, but at the same time is different because Polish and Russian are similar, but they are far, far, far from identical. The way in which Russian language describes the world, the choice of words, the ways of expressing interaction between words, the idioms, the grammar, it's significantly different from what I know from Polish. For me, it, it's actually learning Russian is a very humbling experience and, and one I can also grow from. As to Pat and others like her, just don't waste your time and money. You, you want to learn about Slavic culture? Go to people who know Slavic culture. Go to people who speak at least one Slavic language, who live or at least had an experience of living among Slavic people in a Slavic country. Read, talk, discuss and learn from them. There is not a single not Slavic speaking person out there that can explain Slavic culture to you better than, a, than them, than these, you know, people that know Slavic culture. And of course, alternatively, you could always learn a Slavic language yourself. You know, get the experience and the in-depth understanding of Slavic culture firsthand. And it's worth it. It's hard, <laughs> but it's worth it. So uh, whew, that's all for today. I, was, I hope it wasn't too bad and too emotional. However, you found this episode. Well, do let us know. As always, you can contact us through Vitya's website and blog and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And I will link all the contact details in the notes of the podcast. Another thing I will uh, link is an invite to a Rodnovery Discord server I talked about in the previous episode. Uh, this uh, Rodnovery server is full of people that are happy to explain everything Slavic. And what you will also find there is lots of links to various sources on Slavic culture and tradition and religion and magic and language. And those sources are mostly in English. What we also started recently doing on Radegast on the Rodnovery Discord server, we actually started compiling a list of what is called fake lore. That's all the BS written by people who don't have a clue about Slavic culture yet write about it anyway. So you'll find, well, you'll find Pad there and many others. And I think that's it for now. Take care, stay away from fake lore and uh, until next time. Suava.